All right. Uh, so today it's my great pleasure to uh, to hand it over to Ian. I'm really uh, looking forward to hearing from you, Ian. It's all yours. Thanks, Jim. Uh, my name is Ian, and I'm an alcoholic and an addict. Uh, well done, uh, Bridget and uh, Julia, on, on your birthdays. I was I was nine months. Um, earlier this week uh and it's it's been the first nine months that i think i've ever had when i haven't been under the well i haven't been dabbling in 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 whatever in different substances or or alcohol or painkillers or benzos or or you name it and it's uh it's a it's a um it's a brave new world shall we say uh and i'm really really enjoying it it, it hasn't been um easy and a lot has happened and i've i've got quite a lot to unpack um and uh i do feel really quite uh nervous about it this is this is the first time I've been asked to share um, in this new kind of new time or new existence, I suppose. I've, I've shared a few times before, but I'd never, uh, I'd never really been honest or, or really kind of known that this is what, what life actually is. Um, so uh, yeah, today uh, uh, I'll just talk about what I did today. Uh, um, I woke up really early, as as I do these days, and um, me and my wife took my our dog for a walk down the beach, and it was really really cold, uh, but it was great. Um, feeling the the North Sea coming into your face, and the icy wind. And then we got a coffee um, and then came home. And then I went out with my daughter to buy some, uh, a few wee Christmas presents for my wife. And then I came home and I've I finally uh, set up my, my drums. I've got a I've got a drum kit up in the loft and I've got myself an electric drum kit as well. So I've set up my my drums for recording and uh I've got the electric drums to practice on. Um so I've had a really full and uh happy day uh just just doing wee jobs but in a really kind of relaxed manner. I think if um it was if 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 it was this time last year, I would have been up in the loft uh, manically, making all my drums, and I would have done it so quickly. And then I'd been like, right, what's next? And then I would have been completely obsessed about that. Um, and then I would have probably taken some 
some Valium if I would if I'd been asked to to share to calm me down. Um and then I would have shared and I don't know what I would have spoken about. But um like that that's that's kind of how how normal the lying about about being sober uh became you know but uh I suppose in my if we go back to my childhood I had quite a good childhood quite a happy childhood until about the age of uh, eight or nine and there was a a really significant uh trauma in my childhood and I'd never really I never addressed it until never addressed it fully until I suppose I was in I was in rehab nine months ago. Um but basically it wasn't either of my parents' fault. I won't go into details of it, but basically uh it was like having my dad sort of taken away from me and he had to we had a big car accident and my my dad broke his back that's what happened and uh it it went from being a really happy house to a very very angry mother and a kind of vacant uh father and it was just a sad place to be. Like you didn't, you, you didn't want to really talk. You couldn't ask my mum anything because you just knew she was, she was angry, um, just angry at the world. Um, you know, there wasn't, there wasn't any kind of religion or anything like that in my house. Um, I think my mum, there was from my mum, uh, like she grew up and in Glasgow and it was the church was a big part of our life I think but uh, yeah that when she met my dad you know my dad's like a proper kind of republican communist very political man and he kind of changed her mind I suppose um, so yeah I do remember my mum going to, uh, going to church after my accident, uh, but just coming back even angrier. Um, so yeah, I just didn't want to be in the house and um, did everything I could to get out of the house from from an early age. And because there was so much happening with my dad and him trying to get his life back together and that, nobody really noticed I was gone. Uh, so I was just out all the time doing mischievous things, I suppose. And, uh, yeah, then, then, uh, in my teenage years, uh, I was very, I was always active and doing things and I got really into music and was always playing music. But because we were out and about in the streets all the time, started, started smoking a lot of weed. And at the beginning, uh, I just absolutely loved it. I just remember that feeling it gave me. It was like, it's been, just went into my own little world and um, I took great comfort in it. 
and I've just started doing it all the time, all the time. Uh, I had a quite a morbid fascination with drugs. Um, you know, all my all my heroes were uh, hellraisers, and uh, I wanted to be just like them. And so I, I started I started playing music and uh, and doing what they did and thinking that was great. Uh, also, quite at quite an early age, started taking a lot of um, a lot of drugs that they give heroin. They gave heroin addicts back in the back in the sort of mid to late nineties. Uh, I don't think. The NHS really knew what to do with the with the heroin kind of epidemic that was happening. So we used to get hash off off these heroin addicts, and sometimes they didn't have hash, so they would just give us other things. Um, and I I do quite vividly remember taking uh benzos, different benzos. I don't know what they were. We just called them things like green eggs and blues and yellow ones. But um, I remember just a beautiful feeling. It was it was just like being covered in a blanket, and uh, I just wanted to feel like that all the time. Uh, so yeah, used to take drugs and play music with with some guys, and you know, big big psychedelic freakouts and stuff like that. I do remember my mum always saying like, "You would." It'd be good if you learn how to finish songs. <laughs> um, so yeah, in my, I managed to get through university, and um, I just I never really tried. That's that's a big regret. I never really tried academically. It was just like half-hearted, but that was enough. It was enough just to. To pass exams, I had to do lots of resets and things, but but I got through it. And then in my twenties, I just wanted to try and try and uh, make it as a musician. Uh, and I was always playing the drums, but I suppose deep down, I I did want to be the the front man. Um, but uh, I always and I always figured out the bet like. I was always quite precise about with my measurements of substances before playing. I remember that and quite calculating about a little bit of this and a little bit of that and a little bit of that just to optimise the, the playing. I got it wrong a few times, but but yeah. And then um I just um I, I took off to see the world and I got myself a a year work visa for Australia and went off there and just, just got obliterated drunk in Australia. Um, I got sacked from different jobs for, for being drunk, but it was all good fun, you know. Um, all good fun back then. It was it was happy days. But I do remember, uh, I do remember thinking I do drink more than other people. Um, but drink wasn't wasn't really the my go to thing. It was always uh it's always drugs. Until they started doing all the uppers, like all the pills and speed and 
cocaine and stuff. Um, and I just could not handle the, the come downs on that. And I remember uh, going for a, a couple of pints and I remember the second pint just removing all the all the fear and anxiety. And that's uh, that's probably when drink became uh, a big solution for me. So the drink kind of took over. And um, it remained like that for for most of my twenties. So yeah, um, if you look at like the places I've I've gone and lived and worked, it, it looks really, you know, it's pretty spectacular. You know, I've I've lived in in France, I've lived in Madrid, lived in Argentina, but the truth is, when when I was there, all I did was drink and uh, just get get fucked in my head. There was um, I always went to these places because of a because of a girl, and uh, that girl would always would always leave us because um, I was a fucking mess, and I seemed to love seem to kind of wallow in uh, in heartache and pain. I seem to almost love it um, in a kind of perverse way. Uh, but I was all, I suppose the best way to, best way to describe Ian in his 20s is I was very much a kind of had this romantic idea of the world. Um, uh, a real kind of dreamer. And everything had all these... It was very impressionable. But everything... I had all these romantic notions of... All these different places and things like that. Um, which is a really good thing, you know, because that's... I think that's... That's really what what I was, and then the drink and drugs came in, and I just became really, really kind of cynical about everything. Um, so I had these kind of, you know, two two sides. I, I, re- I just a real contradiction, uh, and. Um, yeah, they, they, they just sort of existed in my head, this snarling, horrible cynic, and then this, like, uh, footloose kind of guy with romantic ideas about places and music and stuff. And, um, yeah, it went on like that for ages. Uh I met I met my wife when I was still at school and we went out for a bit and uh then we we split up but then I reconnected with her um and I had a period of kind of being really happy and then me and my wife went off and um started teaching 
English in Vietnam and it was good for for a while and then I really started uh, drinking again um really drinking and then my daughter was born in 2012 and a few months after my daughter was born we went to my aunt and my cousins in in Australia and uh, I was looking forward to meeting up with my cousin because he was a, a hellraiser who played music and bands and stuff like that but there I was sort of 30, 31 I was about 16 stone just a big bloated mess um and I was excited about meeting up with him and uh, just going out and getting absolutely wasted. But uh, it turned out he'd been going to AA for a month and was sober. And uh, I, all I really remember is getting blackout drunk on um, Christmas Eve. And I went to my first AA meeting on Christmas morning. And I don't really remember much of it. But then after that, uh, I kind of knew that I had to stop drink because it was just making... I was such a messy drunk by that stage. It was just such a messy drunk. And I just couldn't hide it, you know. Just constantly just topping up. I just couldn't hide the fact I was drinking. Um, So... If I think about it now, I hadn't properly surrendered. I just sort of, I was like, right, drink is not working out for me. Um, everybody knows that I'm, when I'm drinking. So I went to Vietnam and I, I did embrace AA, uh, but I did it um, in in my own way. And uh, in in Vietnam, you could buy quite a lot of pharmaceutical um, sedatives and things over the counter. So I just started popping them. And then we sort of came back to the UK and uh, I went to the doctor and the doctor prescribed me some of them. And I did take them quite sparingly, uh, just for anxiety and things. But... I'd never, and all, all this time I'm still going to meetings. Uh, I've got a sponsor and just sort of got this little secret. Uh, and then at some point I started taking little bits of codeine uh, until basically I became hopelessly addicted to, to the codeine. And I would stop and I'd go through a couple of days withdrawal and then I'd have a few weeks without any and then I'd start doing it again. Um, and I don't really know why. Um, well, I suppose I do, you know, because I'm an addict. Uh, but the... The really fucked up thing is I'm still engaging in AA 
and it went on for so long that I'm kind of lying to everyone, but inside I'm kind of deeply ashamed. And I'm becoming more and more and more cynical and just just really quite a toxic person. Like my thoughts were just so toxic, do you know? There was still like a fraction of me inside that knew everything that I was doing was was fucking wrong. Um and I was lying and I wasn't sober. It was like a it was like a full on war inside my head on a daily basis for the best part of ten years. You know? It was uh when I think about it now it was that it was it was absolute torture. Um having to have this kind of double life. Uh I did stop stop doing as many meetings. Um I came I came into to Tasnua. I I did a couple of uh relapses on, on other substances and got caught basically. That's that's what it was. It wasn't a relapse, it was I got caught taking different different things. I just saw and said, What is it? Can you close the door? Sorry, that was my daughter. And uh, uh, I lost what I was talking about. Um, yeah, I, you know, I called it a relapse, but it was just basically I got caught. It was, again, it was just really messy. I like to keep it just so I could take enough just to feel sedated, you know? I didn't, well, not to feel anything. I didn't want to feel, I didn't want to, I didn't know how to, um, how to deal with any emotion. I didn't, I couldn't handle any emotion. I didn't want, I didn't want to feel too happy and I didn't want to feel sad. I definitely didn't want to feel sad. Just didn't want to feel anything. Uh, so I was taking a bit of this, taking a bit of that, taking a bit of this. Basically, like, I've lied to every single person. I've lied to every single person here. I've lied to every single person I know. Do you know? Um, and, uh, you know, it's just remarkable that that was okay. Like, you know, some of the language they use in, in AA, it's it's pretty true. Like, I mean, cunning, baffling, and powerful. That's what it is, you know. Uh, sort of tricked myself. Uh, so, yeah, basically, the, the finale was um, earlier last year, I was taking so much... Uh, street Valium and so much codeine that you know I'd looked into how to get off it 
and I was quite naive with the with the uh, benzos. I didn't really, I didn't. I, it wasn't last year. I looked into getting off them. It was it was long longer ago than that. But I do remember being like, oh shit, do you know how serious it is to get off them. Uh, and that's when uh, that's basically when when all the lies just came crashing down. Uh, and I remember people in here trying to give me advice, uh, and I really, really appreciate that. But I was still in kind of denial. I, I can handle. I can do this myself. Uh, there was no way I could do it myself, do you know. And um, by this stage, uh, <clears throat> my wife knows. Uh, and she's trying to help me get off it, but I just couldn't. I couldn't handle someone else being in control of of all the pills that I was taking. I basically had a, a a nervous breakdown. I remember just being on the floor crying and trying to punch the floor. Um, but my 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 wife had moved her her parents and taken my daughter. Um, I'd I'd agreed to go into rehab my parents were helping me um people in here i'm talking to people in here i can't remember some of the conversations i was so fucked by that time uh and i remember going having to do all these things having to get a sick note having to uh talk to the rehab having uh i don't know what else can't book buy a train ticket and um, it was just too much. It was just too much for my head. And I went to the, the co-op on kind of autopilot and just, just bought a bottle of vodka and um, came back to the house and and opened it in the bathroom and just took took a drink that, that was just terrifying. It was it was terrifying how easily it went down, you know. And I, it could have been about half a bottle that I just drank and it, it I didn't even really taste it, you know? And then everything just went calm. And I was like, right, okay, let's go to the doctor first. And I went to the doctor and and everything kind of fell into place. Uh, and then I went to rehab and I'm still, you know, still not fully kind of accepted the situation. Um, and they've they've put us on a tapering thing. I vaguely remember coming into a meeting here and just sharing and just crying. After some after some guy had shared a beautiful share, and in comes me, just like this fucking mess, you know. Uh, um, and then it was a couple of days into rehab, I met. I met uh, my key worker, this wee hard woman from Easter House in Glasgow uh, called Kirsty. I don't know if you know Easter House, but it's, uh, it's a rough place. And, um, you know, all, she, was an ad, she was an addict. She is an addict. And I'm, she's like, so what's your story? And I started, you know, 
oh yeah, I've been sober for before and blah blah blah. And she's just looking at me like I'm a fucking lying piece of shit. And uh yeah, she just saw through it all and just goes, Have your fuck been sober? Have your fuck. And uh I was no one had ever spoken to me like that. And I just broke down and cried. And she said, like, You know your problem, Ian? You've never you've never surrendered. You've never surrendered. And my whole world just came crashing down. But it was it was weird. It was a weird feeling. It was like uh it was like relief. And, and um then she was she was really kind to us and and helpful. Uh helped me a lot and we did a lot of therapy and stuff in the rehab. And uh yeah I, I spoke to my wife and she said, I think that's that's the end for us. Um I can't see us being together. Uh so I'm in rehab and I've just got this this horrible shame in my gut and I've lost everything. That's I truly believed I'd lost everything. You know, where my wife's you know, was really kinda so matter of fact about everything. Not not in a nasty way, just matter of fact, you know, and just saying, Look, I just want I want Peggy Sue. That's my daughter's name. I want Peggy Sue to have a happy dad. Um, you need to sort yourself out. And I was just, you know, again, my world came crashing down. But somehow I was able just to focus on on getting clean and sober. Uh, it was horrific coming off of... Um, the street Valium. It was I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy. Um yeah, it was it was really nasty. Really nasty. Uh so after twenty eight days in rehab I came out and I spent some time in Aberdeen. I spoke to a few people and then I went and stayed with my big sister. And just kind of continued to get my head together, I suppose. And I did, I did a lot of a meetings and uh, the place where my sister lives. And uh, my sister helped me sort out a wee flat. And I stayed in this wee flat for a month. I went back to work. Just these huge waves of anxiety, huge massive amounts of anxiety and nothing to to help reduce them do you know but i didn't i didn't ever feel kind of the urge to take anything you know after kind of seeing where it, where it taken me uh i went back to work i'm really grateful that i've still got a job they don't know all the details of it they don't need to know um and slowly, um, I started seeing my daughter again. Um, it was amazing just spending time with her and just being, yeah, just just kind of 
just kind of looking at her for the first time. So yeah, and now, where I am now is uh, I've got I've got a kind of routine every week, but there's quite a lot of things that have been happening in my head, um, and the biggest thing is is this idea of uh, of self-will. I just never understood what it, what it was. I just couldn't get my head around it, you know? I kind of said in in previous times going through the steps and things that I kind of understood what it meant. I think, I, I believe I, I think I did. I think I, I did actually have this idea of what it was, but I didn't know what it was. I didn't know what self will was until uh, listening to a few different people share about it. And, uh, that that expression in a when they say let go and let God, that I I didn't get that I didn't understand what that meant. It was wasn't practical to me. Um, I wasn't having anything to do with any kind of higher power concept. But when I heard, uh, well, Jim actually pointed it out this this guy in Tasnua shared about how he how he interpreted it as letting go of all the things all all his ideas of how things should and shouldn't be in the world. You know, what people should and shouldn't say, how people should and shouldn't act, how work shouldn't shouldn't be um and that that for me is is my self-will trying to trying to control everything that's happening um and when things don't happen being like that's an outrage um you know or or seeing people with with nicer houses than me and being like, I should have that house. He doesn't deserve that house. Or I should have a nicer car. Why does he have a nicer car? He doesn't deserve a nice. It's just warped, just fucking warped thinking constantly, constantly, 24 hours a day, just warped thinking. Do you know? That's, that's, that's what my head was doing all for all my life. Just that, just, just fucking madness, just mad thinking. And uh, just the other week at the local AA meeting, there was a guy started sharing and he was talking about self-will and higher power and stuff. And uh, 
he spoke about truth and how this concept of a higher power he calls it truth and I I can identify that I can identify with that a lot um you know truth truth is so much more powerful than me um and the moment I start telling the truth it's totally out of my control what happens and that is uh very humbling uh and I like that. And I think it, the truth helps me, is helping me be a bit less self-centered. Uh, you know, it's it's such a big, scary thing, the the truth. But the moment you the moment you tell it and show vulnerability people connect with you and uh, it's an amazing thing it's an amazing thing it's uh, yeah it's just a great thing so today today I'm uh, I'm emotionally available to my daughter and my wife and my mum and my dad and my sisters uh, especially uh, my daughter, because she's gone through, you know, a lot of changes. She's eleven now, um, and uh, I'm just present. I'm just here. I'm able. Uh, I'm able to do my job better. Uh, I'm finding more patience. Um, uh, that's about it. It's uh you know, it's uh it's a it's a good place to be and uh and that's it. I'll just I'll just leave it there. Thanks.